Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. You listen to this station because you like getting what you want, right? Same idea behind the Sleep Number bed. You choose the exact firmness you want, your Sleep Number setting, and so does your partner. No compromise, no battle. Just the right sleep and individualized comfort for the both of you. You can only find Sleep Number at a Sleep Number store. Don't miss the lowest prices of the season. Save $400 on the C4 Queen mattress set, just $1499.98. Find us at one of our five stores in the Cincinnati area. For your local store, visit sleepnumber.com. No better sleep with Sleep Number. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Grueling Truth. I'm your host, Mike Goodpaster, and we have another great guest tonight. But before we get to him, I want to, as always, introduce my co-host, Matt Andrews-Cavage. Mike, always a great uh, time to uh, do radio shows, and I'm looking forward to talking to Leon tonight. Yep, me too. So our guest tonight was a huge part of one of the greatest dynasties in college football history, helping lead the University of Miami to three national championships. From there, he went on to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Jacksonville Jaguars. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show Leon Searcy. Gentlemen, how you doing? All right. Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming on. I was a huge University of Miami fan back in the day. Still am, but it's not as exciting now. But <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to you tonight. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. You know, oh, anytime I can talk about myself, it's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> hey, it's a good time. Good thing anytime, anytime somebody wants to hear you talk about yourself. Too, so. Oh uh, man, I'm just glad to be here. But I wanted to start off. I, I did a little research on you, and I noticed that you didn't play high school football until your senior year. Your mom was a school teacher, and she uh-huh. had a rule that you couldn't play until you had a 3.0 grade point average. That is true. Uh, my mom, you know, my, I love my mom to death. Uh, she was in education for over 45 years. She's been uh, everything from a school teacher to a counselor to a principal. And she just didn't play. I mean, I wasn't a bad student, uh, 2.5, 2.7, that, you know. But my mom knew for some reason in high school that the demands of the uh, academically, that she wanted to put that demand academically on me early. You know, so going into my 10th grade year, you know, I kind of sprung up. I, I grew from like 5'9 to like 6'4". And you can just imagine a big kid like myself not playing football in high school, and everybody's asking me, why you're not playing football? Why you not playing football? And the reason why, my mom put the stipulations that she said, look, you got to get a 3.0 before you can play ball. And I went through my junior, my sophomore year, my junior year, then my senior year, right before that spring jamboree, you know, you know, I had a 3.5 grade point average. You know, so I went out for football. I was kind of discovering actually playing basketball in the gym. My coach, who I love to death, a guy named Bill Gerke. Uh, at the Evans High School. I mean, he's been a coach over 45 years. 
he actually saw me in the gym playing basketball, and he asked me if I was, a, you know, a sophomore, new to the school. And I said, no, Coach, I'm going to be a senior. He said, you're going to be a senior at this school, and you ever play football? He said, I need to talk to your parents. He came to the house. He talked to them. And I just want to say the rest is history. You know, I, I progressed from there and got a scholarship University of Miami. And, you know, I'm thankful to this day that my mom put those kind of stipulations on me. I mean, because when I went to the University of Miami, you know, I stayed on course to graduate, and that's the most important thing. All right, we Did got you a feel caller. like that while you were going through that? What's that now? I was, uh, when you were going, when you were going through that, was it? Uh, did you did you find it pretty difficult, or were you just kind of you know, well, yeah, mom told me to do it this way? And well, it was it was it was it was it was very difficult those first two years. And but I'm gonna show you how God works. This is how God works in the situation. But um. I used to have to after school. I used to have to go pick up um, my sister. I used to go have to walk to the elementary school to pick up my sister. And this particular time, my mom was there, and I didn't know. And she was talking to some of her coworkers over there to pick up their kids. And they were, and she was like, you know, my son has got the grades to go to college, but I don't know how we're going to be able to afford it. And I I remember hearing that. And I remember going to school the next day, and it just happened to be the day where all like all the recruits come in crews from Michigan, you know, because we was a big-time program in Orlando. Orlando Evans had a lot of, you know, a lot of big-time schools come through there. It was the Michigans, you know, the Dames, the Arizonas, the LSUs. They were all there. And then when I was walking the hallways, this was before the spring, they were asking me if I played ball. Or, you know, they was like, hey, what's your name? What's your name? And I was like, hey, what position do you play? I said, well, I don't play football. And they said, well, do you know where the, you know, do you know where the, the weight room is? So I would tell them to. So I – I had I had bumped into a lot of recruits on that particular day, and it just dawned on me that hell I can get a scholarship to play football and don't play, and that and that that's one of the real reasons I went out for football because I didn't want to put my I didn't want my put my parents in a predicament where they would have to send me to college. I mean because I, I was already in a situation where my parents were barely getting by, and the last thing I wanted to do was for them to struggle. So that was kind of a blessing in itself. It, it, those last couple of days, which kind of led me into going out to some spring football and then ultimately get a starting job and get a scholarship down the road. All right, we got a caller on the line. I believe this is Troy. You there? Yeah. Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, Leon, this is Troy. I'm the uh, I'm the uh, CEO of the Red Light Sports Network. I was just calling in, guys, to listen to the show. I didn't want. I didn't need to come on the air tonight. I got to figure well, out. You didn't tell me that. Does. You got to tell me that ahead of time. <laughs> but, I'll uh, put you hey, back on. You always want to come on the air. Hey, Leon, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing doing well, Troy. How about yourself? Doing good. Just so you know, I actually uh, reside in Western PA, so I reside out in Steeler Nation. Even though I'm originally from Green Bay, so you know we have a lot of Steeler Nation that are uh, fans of the Red Light Sports Network. So. I definitely appreciate you coming on uh, Coach's show and sharing your time in the NFL and stories, uh, you know, about your life and everything going on because I'll tell you what, the, the Steeler Nation fans that we have really appreciate that. But since you got me on the show, I, I do have a question for you. You know, okay. you, played, you played in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s, and you had a chance to go through free agency, and I'm not sure if the guys are going to get to this, but one thing that we talk about on our main show, The Ramble, a lot, is how free agency has changed. And as you've watched this game pro- progress from the 10 to 12 years that you've been out of football, 
What do you think is the major difference between today's free agency and when you went through it back when you were a player? And then I'll I'll just go back on mute, Coach, and uh, you just finish up your show. I'm just listening in tonight. You're usually on mute anyways, aren't you, Troy? <laughs> well, you know, well, for one, the, the money is definitely a factor. The money is much huger than it was when I was playing. I mean, when I was playing contracts, I mean, these guys, are, I mean, we were getting signing bonuses when I was coming out uh, as a free agent, and these guys are getting guaranteed money. I mean, my signing bonus when I came out, when I signed with Jacksonville, was somewhere in the nature of $5 million. And you've got guys now getting somewhere between 20 to 25 to 30 to $50 million guaranteed. But I think it's, it's, it's pretty much the same. I think teams do the same thing they did when I was playing. They go for needs. Uh, offensive line was always a need. That, that was a, the, the reason why Jacksonville went after me. They had a left-handed quarterback. And I was one of the premier right tackles at that time when I was playing. So that, that's the reason why they went after me. Um, uh, only thing I see different from uh, from then and now is the money. I think teams still go after needs. I think they go after needs and then they hit the draft. Uh, I think that's a, a reason. That's the particular reason why the draft was actually moved back to a month. I mean, for showtime as well, but to give free agency an extra month so guys can get you know pick and choose the free agents that they may need, make sure they fall underneath the cap, and then draft guys. You know pertaining to their needs as well. So that's my take on free agency, um, you know, from then and now. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. That's cool. Uh, well, um, we, you know, you, you, you won three national titles uh, at the U. What was it like to be part of a dynasty like that? Well, um, it wasn't always easy. I mean, I think I, the one thing I, I do recall about playing at the University of Miami, it taught me how to be a champion. Uh, it taught me about the business of, of college football, and it started with Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was a stickler on making sure that his environment, his, his coaching environment and his football environment was not country club. He kept the pressure on you. He, 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 threatened, he threatened with scholarships. He threatened with positions. He threatened with sending guys home. He put demands on you to make sure you got your butt up and went to class. You came in the weight room. You studied. You put extra time in after practice. So it was there was no it was no pleasure cruise playing at University of Miami when I was there. But the ultimate goal while I was there was winning championships, and that and that's what it was all about. It taught me how to be a champion. It taught me how to put in the time to be a champion to make the sacrifices, and that's all we thought about that when we was there. It was about winning championships. I, I, I can my five years in Miami. I can never recall going into a game where we thought that we were going to lose. And the reason why that mentality was instilled in us because we worked so hard from Sunday to Friday, and then Saturday there was many teams that could compete with us because we were so competitive. And it, it didn't have a lot to do with the coaches. I think that the, the biggest factor that the University of Miami was known for when I was playing back then is that the players put more pressure on you than the coaches ever did. I mean, you had to produce or you get cussed out or you'll get whooped. You'll get beat up in the locker room. You'll get, you'll, you'll get tried at your dorm room. I mean, if you didn't get it done on Saturdays, guys called you out. And if you couldn't fight, then you took an ass whooping that day. And that's how the University of Miami was for those five years I was there. And that's the reason why we won three national titles. That's the reason why I only lost four games in five years. And it was some of the greatest times of my life. It taught me how to be a champion, and it was translated 
very well at the next level. It kind of leads into my next question, which was Dennis Erickson. You know, he followed Jimmy Johnson. Um, the team continued to win. I mean, how big a factor was Dennis Erickson in that, or was it something where it was so ingrained in everybody there that no matter who came, they were going to win? Well, I always thought of Dennis Erickson, when he first came to the University of Miami, it was like he was given the keys to a Porsche and basically told not to crash it. Because we had, we just a year before, you know, we had finished number two in the country. We had lost to Notre Dame by one point. And we felt that we, we, you know, we had enough talent coming back to win another chance and that's the title. And his first year there, I mean, he basically um, played with Jimmy's guys, and we won a national title. But as things went on, my last, my senior year, you know, he kind of got his his guys in there. He kind of, you know, guys were implemented to the system. And, I mean, he's the only coach, you know, and University of Miami history to win that, two national titles. I mean, what he brought in was kind of revolutionary at that time because we had a one-back system and he ran three, four wides out. He was utilizing our talents. And most of the times you were either in shotgun or under the center. And we were usually in three, we was in trips with three or four wides, and we had a, a one-back offense because we had so much speed at the wide receiver position that he stretched the offense. And you, with, with the amount of speed that we had in Miami, you couldn't cover all our guys. And, and most of the time we lit up the scoreboard. So, that one back, but that one that one back three four wide offense. I mean, put up a lot of points while I was there. And then the defense, he was just told not to touch the defense. Our defense was lethal when when I was at University of Miami. I mean, we we were always top five in the country, and we were going to stay with the three four defense. Uh, we had enough senior leadership on the defensive side of the ball where, you know, they could call the they could call the play or they they could call the defense out and we could get it done. So. I, you know, Erickson, you know, he, he doesn't get as much uh, due as he as he deserves uh, because the, the first year he came in, he won a national title. But two years later, you know, uh, he won it again in 91 and it had a lot to do with the guys that he had brought in. You know, um, one of the things uh, I always like to ask uh, uh, players as we're getting close to the NFL draft, um, you know, the draft has changed a lot over the years. But what was it like for you? Uh, what was your draft day experience like in 1992? Well, oh, well, man, this is in my book. I'm definitely going to give a good story. This is definitely in my book. But uh, I didn't go to New York. I was invited. Uh, I, I stayed in Orlando. And to be honest, uh, me and my dad woke up that morning about 6 in the morning. We took a walk. It took about an hour and a half walk. By the time we got back to the house, uh, it was or it was media on my front lawn, so the media's on my front lawn. We're not letting them in the house or whatever. So we go downstairs. My agent is down there, and the draft came on at twelve o'clock. So at about nine nine o'clock that morning, I get a call, and it's Jimmy Johnson. You know, he was with the Dallas Cowboys at that particular time. He called me up and he said, "Leon," and I knew his voice when I when I picked up the phone. I knew exactly who it was, and I said, "Coach Johnson." He said, "Yeah, Leon." You know, we got the 14th pick in the draft. I think we're going to go ahead and draft you. We're going to, you're going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I said, all right. I said, he said, well, we got a representative just landed in Orlando. He's going to bring the contract in and um, hope you got your agent there so you can get everything signed up. He said, you're not going to hold out on it. I said, no, of course, everything. If all 
you know, if it, I said, if the check is real, I'm going to sign. He said, okay. So my, my doorbell rings. The guy from the Cowboys comes in. He represents a big guy, big burly guy. Big burly white guy, about 6'6", six, six, you know, cowboy hat on. He has his jersey thrown across his chest, and it's my jersey. I see it, 73. And he got, he got Cersei on the back of it. So him and my agent are you know, going in the back back of the room, and it's like they're negotiating. So I'm chilling because I know the game. I know the draft comes on in a couple of hours, so I figure the Cowboys are going to get me. As we creep up closer up into the draft, um, he actually in the draft, um, I had to get another phone call about the seventh or eighth pick, and it's Bill Cowell. Bill Cowell calls me up and says, Leon, uh, we're thinking about taking you the 11th pick in the draft. And I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, the Cowboys are here. He said, yeah, I know. They tried to move up and get you, but we're going to take you at 11. So when the 11th pick came around and they called me and said that you're, uh, you're a Pittsburgh Steeler, the Cowboy representative just left. I asked him for the jersey. He said no. He left, kept booking, and there was my draft. That was my draft story. And and, I, and another thing I do remember about the draft is the late great Stuart Scott, who was actually um, a sports reporter at the time in Orlando. He's the first guy that interviewed me when I got drafted. So that's my draft story. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, uh, you mentioned Bill Cowher. I mean, you were the first player picked, I think, under his regime as the head coach yes, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. What was it like to play for a guy like Bill Cower? I loved him. Uh, I, I absolutely loved him. He was intense. He was a player's coach. He wanted to win. He wasn't going to do anything fancy. He was going to run the ball, play action you, and he was going to play sound defense. And, you know, he wasn't going to try to trick you. He wasn't going to try to do give you different formations. All, this, all, this. all he was going to do, he wanted the rock-solid offensive line, he wanted a big tight end to go down the middle. He wanted the receivers to run, you know, the routes, protect the passer, and then he was going to play that 3-4 defense, that rocks out of Blitzburg defense. And I just loved it. He knew how to take care of us. He knew when to push us. He knew when to push the right buttons. He knew when to let us relax. He was intense. He hated losing. He wanted to win. I mean, I mean, him, my high school coach, uh, Coach Johnson and Bill Cowher are my all-time favorite coaches. I mean, I, I believe in my career playing football, and that's fan, they got the most out of me as a player. And I I, I, I respect them for that because they pushed you. They, they were hard but fair. And uh, I just absolutely love playing for the guy. What was uh, – now, this another thing I, I always find to be very fascinating is just – the idea of stepping out on the field for a Super Bowl. What was your most memorable experience for playing in Super Bowl Thirty? Um, I, I just remember. Um, I mean, right before I stepped on the field, I reflect being a little kid at the particular time where I, that's all I loved was football. And I was born in D.C., so I was a huge Washington Redskins fan at the time. And I just remember being as a kid sitting in front of the TV watching the Super Bowl. And now here I am, this big kid, about to step out on the field in the biggest game in the world at that particular day. And as gratifying as it was to be and play in Super Bowl Thirty, I think the most devastating thing about the game is that somebody has to lose. Because to this day, losing the Super Bowl is probably the most demoralizing loss I've ever had to deal with because the excitement 
of getting there, the whole week of preparation, and then playing a team that you just absolutely did not like and had a history of not liking the Cowboys and then to come away and lose it. I mean, it was like a, it was, it was, you get at the pinnacle and you're at the, the highest high, and then when you lose, you're at the lowest low. So, you know, I just remember when I looked at the score when it was 27-17, I, I, was, I was devastated and wanted more time on the clock because we were so close to pulling off one of the great comebacks in Super Bowl history, and, and we just didn't get done. You know, when you, throw, when you have two turnovers, um, and, and, you know, when you have the two turnovers and you create a short field for the Cowboys, you're not going to win. And a good friend of mine, I know y'all had on the show about two weeks ago, if we had won that Super Bowl, he would have been MVP. LeVon Kirkland, I mean, he was a stud in that game. And they, they would have had no choice but to get him the MVP because the mighty Dallas Cowboy offense had, didn't have 150 yards total that whole game and it had a lot to do with LeVon Kirkland in that middle, stopping Emmitt, getting off those double teams, shutting down Novacek. I mean, I was watching. He was a stud in that game. And if we had a one, they would have had a hard time not giving him the MVP. Yeah, I think we talked about that. I mean, that was one of the best games I've ever seen an inside linebacker, a linebacker period, play in a Super Bowl. I mean, you had to sack mm-hmm. on Aikman where he runs over Smith. I think you guys Absolutely. held him at Smith to 56 yards on 12 carries. Yeah, if he got – yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But look, I mean, look, we, we, dominate, we dominated statistically. Okay, so after Pittsburgh, you went to Jacksonville. I think you signed mm-hmm. there the biggest contract any offensive lineman ever signed at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, for one day. The next day, you know, Willie Rosso signed uh, like a uh, like a, a ten thousand dollars more than I did. So, you know, I was I was a high state offensive lineman in the history of the NFL for twenty four hours, and then the next day, Willie Rope with the Saints had signed just a bigger contract than I. So, yeah, going to Jacksonville. I enjoyed my time there. And, Leon, that was 24 hours longer than most people get. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I got so, listen, I got in uh, Jet Magazine. I got my picture in Jet Magazine, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jacksonville, you played for Coach Coughlin, correct? Yeah, I did. Okay. What's your opinion of Coach Coughlin? I mean, I've heard a lot of things about when he was in Jacksonville and what kind of a taskmaster he was and everything. But All true, all true. His first year there in Jacksonville, he was a tyrant. I'm not going to lie. You know, couldn't take a knee, had to sit up straight, no hats, uh, fine for everything. Everything was a fine. I, I, I asked Coach Coughlin one time. I just asked the world all this fine money was going. And he said um, something about a Christmas party. And I said that's going to be one hell of a Christmas party because he was finding everybody <laughs> for everything. <laughs> <laughs> he's just finding guys for everything. I mean, he's finding guys for being. Now, here's here's the thing. If this is how you were late to a meeting. If you if you if he walked in the meeting before you, you were late. Even if you were like two or three minutes early, you were late. He would find you. If he caught you sleeping, he would find you. Chewing gum, find you. Uh, some it was one time he couldn't even eat sunflower seeds. Couldn't bring coffee, cold drinks. I said, man, this this is ridiculous. I mean, I I because I you know I come from Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, we didn't have any of this foolishness. The one time I, I did stand up and say something, we were playing in a preseason game. Now, granted, we were playing in a preseason game, second preseason game, and uh, the guy who was playing next to me, a guy named Brian DeMarco, you know, he he had first time playing guard, and he just he just he was getting handed to him a, a good bit, and he kept, he was jumping off sides. 
So we came in at halftime, and Brian DeMarco walks in front of me, and Tom Coughlin, you know how they have all the Gatorade set up on the table, whatever. Tom Coughlin came and took his arm and swiped all the great Gatorade off the table, pushed the Gatorade tank on the ground, and kicked the table. And he started cussing out Brian. He, and, I, and, I, and I had to say so. I said, I, and I broke him up because Brian was six seven, about three hundred some pounds, and Coughlin is just cussing him out, dog cussing him out. And Coughlin can't be no bit five seven, maybe two hundred pounds wet, maybe one eighty wet. So I had to come between them. I said, man, we. I said, I said, I told Coughlin and I said, y'all have lost y'all mind. I said, this is a preseason game, preseason game. I said, we're not going to make it this season with this kind of attitude. I said, man, listen, Coach, let us handle Brian. You go ahead, go ahead. I just knew it was just something crazy about what I had signed up for. And it went, it lurked into the season, and we were like three and four, and we had one of the top offenses in the, in the NFL, but we were losing the games late. And, we, and Kaufman was just driving us like, I mean, you know, it was like we were working the steel mills, to be quite honest. He was just driving us, driving us. And we just went in the Kaufman office and said, look, Coach, if you just let up, if you just let up a little bit, we'll make a little run and we could, you know, we're dying. You're killing us in practice. So late in the games, you know, we're not coming through because we ain't got the legs. So he let up and we made a run. And, and my first year in Jacksonville, we made a run. We made the playoffs. We went to Buffalo. We beat Buffalo in the first round of playoffs. We went to Denver, who's the number one seed, and we beat Denver. And the next thing you know, that season, we're in the AFC Championship game, go playing against New England and go in the Super Bowl. So he was a tyrant his first year, and as the years progressed, he let up, he let up. He trusted the guys more. He gave us a little bit more freedom, and that's why we had so much success when we was there. Did you have a uh... – uh, either a uh, a favorite rivalry or, um, like, the, who was the person that you thought was just the your, your toughest battle or your, your the toughest guy you ever had to block? Well, it was actually, well, it was actually three guys. Um, there was a guy named um, <clears throat> uh, William Fuller. Uh, he played with the Houston Oilers, uh, the Eagles. There was uh, Mike Strahan. Uh, me and Mike, I mean, we had, along with our physical battles, we had verbal battles against each other back and forth. And then, of course, there's the late, great Reggie White. I mean, Reggie White was a combination of power and speed. And then I can't forget about the, the late, great Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas, I mean, he made a move on me to this day. I don't know how he did it. And if I, I have a hard time maybe explaining it, but he had a move on me where he, like, faked a half twist to a full twist and sacked the quarterback. So um, when he did all that, I told him he could have the quarterback. But if you have to see the move on tape, but he got me on that. So I, w- I would say four guys. Those four guys have probably been my um, toughest challenge as an offensive lineman. And then, you know, Peter Boulware with the Ravens, he gave me a little fits every now and then. But those those are probably the guys that I had my toughest battles with. All right. Well, I would need to get this in real quick. We're on the live part of the show right now. In three uh, or three minutes, twenty six seconds, we'll go off the air. An hour from now, if you're listening now, you can go on. You can get the podcast. Get the last fifteen minutes. Um, tomorrow night, we'll have Gary Jeter on, and I mean, hopefully, you guys will come in and listen then. So, this is the thing that really interests me about you: is everything you're doing after you played football. 
I mean, we talked a little bit. You're writing a book about the offensive lineman stuff you're doing. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that? Oh well, I've got a company that I started maybe six months ago. Uh, it's called Real Men Block, and what it is is uh, it's apparel, it's uh, it's apparel and t-shirts and, and dry fits and scullies all catered towards offensive linemen. I'm getting into designing gloves as well. I'm gonna name the gloves. Uh, I'm getting into uh, I've got padding pending uh, equipment that uh, is handheld equipment that offensive linemen can use. Uh, by themselves or the offensive lineman, and I've also um, I still mentor uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. You know, I'm always connecting with uh, high school kids, college kids, and you know, giving them an overview on not just football in life. You know, because I've seen the good and the bad pertaining to the NFL. I know some of the entrapments that they might get lured into from from men as well as women. And I just I just like molding the mentor and motivate guys. My whole thing behind Real Man Block is and that I, I want to create a community of offensive linemen where we're helping one another. And I want to see offensive linemen grow. I want to be a part of the process of them going from high school, getting into college, and if they get and if they're blessed enough to play in the NFL, I'll be here for them as well. I'm also in the works of, of getting with investors and getting a training facility where offensive linemen can come in and train year-round. Now, I've been talking to some investors. I've been looking for locations for that. So those are the things that I'm working on right now. Like you said, I'm working on my book, and it has a lot to do with my upbringing and UM, NFL, and everything like that. So, I mean, it's been a blessed experience. I'm, 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 I can't wait. I'm, I'm already at work with it, so um, hopefully it'll be a success. I heard that uh, part of part of the uh, uh, part of your business to assist offensive linemen is uh, uh, they can send in their film and uh, yeah exactly uh, I, I, yeah I forgot to mention that there, there's another process of real men block where that's on the website as we, as as it grows offensive linemen from middle school to high school to college can actually send in their film. And I'm going to have a panel of guys who form, you know, panel of experts, guys who played in Super Bowls, guys who got Pro Bowls, and we'll give you, we'll give you an expert analysis on some of the stuff that you'll be, you need to work on, and then you'll be able to download training tape uh, where the guys give you uh, specific drills that you can work on, whatever it may be, maybe your hand speed, your foot speed, your head placement, your attack points, and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff is in the process. Sounds good. Um, the mentoring, is that basically just for playing, or is that for off the field too? Well, uh, right now I'm leaving it up to kids. I'm leaving it up to the kid. If they if they want to talk about, um, you know, stuff that's on the field as far as blocking a guy and all that kind of stuff, then that's fine. And if they want to talk about life off the field and, and, and need some guidance and, 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 and stuff to be leery of, I've got that for you too. So I'm I'm open I'm open for all the advice. As we were uh, doing uh, some research, I also noticed that uh, do you still have a t-shirt business? Is yeah, well, going or well, the, the real man block is the, is the t-shirt business and apparel. Oh, that's all part of it. Okay, got it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, my biggest question about your career is. When I did some research, I'd forgotten this, but from you retired in 2002, 
Mm-hmm. After signing with two or three different teams, never getting to play a game. I mean, how did you deal with the end of your career where you didn't really get to end it on your own terms? I mean, it's got to be rough um, to be you know, a big physical offensive lineman, and all of a sudden you can't play because your body won't allow you to. Well, hey, you know, that that just has to, you know, father time catches up with everybody. He's on the feet. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. I mean, I, I had a career of eight years where I had missed a game. Well, I missed one game, and that was, yeah, I only missed one game. So I felt pretty indestructible when it, when it came down to it. And then, you know, in Jacksonville, um, you know, I was supposed to do a one-on-one drill with a guy, and I didn't even hit him. I came off the ball, and I blew out my tri- I blew out my quadricep. That kept me out the year. And then I became a free agent, and I went to the Ravens, and a little ticky-tack drill where I'm punching a guy, I blew out my tricep. And then when I try to come back early, I blow it out again. So then I leave Baltimore. I signed with the Dolphins. I'm in the best shape of my life. When I when I signed with the Dolphins, I was maybe 365 pounds, way out of shape. But by the time we got to minicamp, I was 305. I was lightning quick. My, my bench was up. My weight, my squatting was up. My 40 was down. And I go into the first preseason game, and we're doing warm-ups against the defense. I blow up my tricep again. So you're talking three years in a row where I just didn't finish the season. I knew it was my time was up, and, and – there's nothing I could do about it because I was at that particular time. Uh, I was considered damaged goods. When you when you when you're injured three years in a row, you haven't played a game. You're considered damaged goods to the NFL. And 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 another reason why I didn't play is that um, my pride. I couldn't put my pride aside. A lot of the teams that wanted to bring me on board basically wanted to bring me on board to 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 be a backup. And I felt that. I was nobody's backup, and I just called it quits after that. So, you know, injuries and pride, you know, get me out of the league, and there's nothing I could really do about it. I just had to deal with the fact that my career was over, and it, it was it was troubling. It was troubling because, uh, you know, everybody says that, you know, they're, they, you know, they're prepared, and it's all over, but it was just thrown on me, and I just had to deal with it. And unfortunately, it's a lot of guys that are in that same situation where it's just thrown on them when you just can't play anymore. Father Time says it's over, it's over. Unfortunately, um, offensive linemen don't get the credit that they're that they're really due. And you know, there's not a lot of uh, statistics that get put up on TV for fans to to point to offensive linemen. But um, for you, it. Looking back on your career, is there uh, like a particular game? Because even though there might not be the the measurable stats that we'll see all over TV, you know mm-hmm. when you did really well, and mm-hmm. you know when you had a great game. Is there a particular game that stands out for you where you just know you had probably your best game? Um. Well, I think when I was in Pittsburgh. I think when I was in Pittsburgh, my best game that I probably ever had was anytime we played Cleveland, um, or anytime we played the Browns. I, you know, that 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 hatred towards the Browns was instilled to me, you know, very early when I was a Steeler. So I've all, I always got up for the Steeler games. I had a pretty good game against Reggie White, believe it or not, because 
I mean, my, my teammates tortured me the whole week, me having to. That's when Reggie was with Green Bay. And, I mean, believe it or not, I kept, I mean, I kept, I mean, Reggie didn't get a sack that game. I mean, and I, Bill Coach Howard tell you, you know, you know, his hamstring. I remember running to the locker room. We lost the game because Green Bay threw a last-second uh, touchdown in the end zone. And I remember walking into the locker room and Coach Coward telling me, oh, Reggie had a bad hamstring. I said, no, nah, Reggie didn't handle bad. He, he just got blocked the whole game. I remember that. <laughs> so, he, he so he kind of stole my glory a little bit. He tried to minimize my glory because I kept Reggie off the quarterback. But uh, in my best game in Jacksonville, uh, my best game, I think the playoff game when we played Denver, when the Denver when they were the number one seed, uh, I think I had a, I had a great game there, and um, I had a couple of good and a couple of times when I went up against the freak. You know, every there was this big thing about Javon Curtis and the freak, and he was just tearing up the NFL, and uh, and I, I shut him down. Had a good game against Straight Hand. He'll probably tell you different, um, but uh, I dominated him. Um, so I had a few games where I could, you know, pat myself on the back, but I was never, I was never one. I mean, I, I was the epitome of offensive linemen. I mean, team offensive line success meant that everybody succeeded. So you know, if we all succeeded and, and, and accomplished, I, I considered that a good game. And you know, I played, I played with some great offensive linemen. You know, when I went to Pittsburgh, I played with the great, the Hall of Fame, Demonte Dalton, Dalton. I mean, he's still the greatest offensive lineman I ever played with. And then when I was in Jacksonville, you know, I played across from Tony Baselli. So, you know, I, I've been fortunate to, to be on some pretty good offensive linemen while I was playing, offensive line teams while I was when I was in the NFL. Well, I think the, the hot topic of the NFL today is players retiring early. You had Borland from the 49ers, a few other guys. What's your take on the guys retiring early? You know, your take on the NFL and how they look out or don't look out for player safety. Well, I, I think I think if if you've got to think about getting hurt, then you need not play. And you know, I, and that's the last thing you can do because when you think about getting hurt, that's when you get hurt. And a lot of these guys that are retiring early, I mean, they're thinking about their future. I mean, the, 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 these guys now are bigger, faster, stronger. The concussions are coming more frequent. And if they get their money, I mean, there's a lot of money being thrown out now, a lot of guaranteed money going out now. So if guys getting their money before they're turning 30, there's no reason to play 10, 12, 14, 15 years. I mean, when I was coming out, guys had to play long to get their money. And they usually got their money on the back end, and they usually played the younger guys early. But now these guys are getting their money front-loaded. So they're getting – the twenty, the thirty, the forty million dollars guaranteed before they turn thirty, and there's no there's no need to play all that that long. And I think these guys are also are looking at the fact that this concussion thing is serious. It's it's a serious case. It's a serious uh, uh, something that the NFL definitely has been addressing. Um, they still need a lot more work on a lot more information. Um, so these guys are, are thinking long term. I mean, no one wants to be in their 50s, not remembering their children or their wife or having to be taken yeah. care of. A lot of these guys don't want to burden their families as they get older. So I think you're seeing a lot of guys getting their money, uh, getting out of the league. And I, I think I don't think it's going to be a trickle-down effect. I think it's going to happen. But what you need to worry about is the best athletes playing other sports. you got to think about the, the generations to come. I mean, because the parents of the mom and dads are seeing what the after effects that footballs are having 
on their uh, children, then you're going to see a lot of the better athletes probably going to play the other sports. Now, I, I'm not saying that's going to happen within the next five to ten years, but who's to say the next 30 or 40 years? You might have, you know, some of the better athletes going to other sports just because, you know, these guys don't want to be vegetables when they turn 50. Yeah. We, Matt? Leon, if you ever, if you ever sit down with uh, with a young athlete, whether it be for your business or or another situation, what what is pro- what is the most important advice that you like to give a young athlete? I I tell them to well when I talk to high school kids, you don't know you you will be amazed at how many high school kids ask me about going pro, and I say, look, man, get you, go to college to get an education. And then when I start spitting out the statistics that only one and a half percent of the guys who play college football go to the NFL. You know, then they look at it a little differently. I just tell high school kids to to be passionate about their game, um, um, play hungry, perfect your craft, and if you get an opportunity to go to college, make sure you graduate. Now, college kids going into the pros, I tell them to be leery. Of I tell them to watch their money, invest their money, consider yourself a corporation, write your own bills, don't trust anybody. I say be leery of men as well as women because both of them will entrap you in some way or another. And learn to say no because most of your money is going to be asked from people that you know the best, your homeboy you grew up with, your cousin, uh, your family member. Because, I, I, you know, I just remember situations where I went into the NFL where I you know, competent adults that I knew all my life all of a sudden couldn't pay their bills. And they would come to me and ask me for a car note here, a house note here, pay this bank loan. So they, they've got to learn to say no. They've got to make up in their mind who they're going to help, how much they're going to take to help them, and then be done with it. And invest their money, and they need to invest their money like tomorrow will be their last day in the NFL because you're getting all these sums of money. You want to make sure you put it away. And it, all the programs that the NFL have available for you, like the 401Ks, the annuities, the pensions, all, make sure that you put all your money as much as you can to those things because the NFL matches it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you when, you when you're turning 35, 40, 45 years old, even 55. So, I mean, that's, that's the advice that I give kids, whether they be in high school and college, to just be leery of people that want to take advantage of you. Enjoy your time there, but also realize that it's a business. And you can't help everybody. A blessing is not for everybody. So help those that you want to help. Don't worry about what they say to you. Do your best for them and then be done with them. Well, I can tell you this. I say it was an honor to have you on the show tonight. I mean, whenever you go ahead and get ready to publish your book, you come on, promote it all you want. I'm sure Troy with the Red Light Force Network will put a link on it. Well, I appreciate yeah, you I mean, gave me some good advice too earlier about that book, so I'm going to roll with that too. Well, I mean, that's I got a book coming out too, so everybody knows. I'm sure I brought it up before on here, but I'll let you know how it goes with mine and anything we could ever do to help you, Leon. All you got to do is call us. Hey, man, I appreciate hey, hey. it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Leon, I'd like to second that. It was a real honor to have you on. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, Leon, this, Leon, this, is, this is Troy. Before you go, um, make sure you hook up with me on Twitter or on on our website and, and talk to Mike because I definitely, uh, with your company, 
Uh, let's yep. set up something where I can where I can get a click and go logo right on our network, um, okay. so our fans so our fans can click onto your website. I'll, I'll gladly uh, I'll gladly put a click and go logo uh, in our advertising section for your business down there, buddy. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, just okay. Hook up with either hook up with either myself or Mike, and uh, get us over a logo and uh, a link, and uh, I'll definitely. Uh, Go on the website, and I'll get a little uh, click and go logo there, so we can promote your business. But I think it's a I think it's a great uh, opportunity for for a lot of people, and uh, I'll, I'll gladly promote that on the network. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and thanks for having me on. All right, thank you, Leon. Thank you, Leon. <laughs> you got it. Hey, remember, guys, tomorrow night we have a special Thursday night show with Gary Jeter, former star of the Rams, Giants, and Patriots. He was supposed to be on last week. He was on the last 20 minutes of the show. We had some technical difficulties. So Mr. Jeter will be on tomorrow night. And then next Wednesday, I confirmed today, Dennis Smith, former all-pro safety with the Denver Broncos, will be our guest next Wednesday night. You got any closing thoughts, Matt? Yeah, uh, you know, Leon uh, had a very good career and uh, definitely went through some hard times. But it's it's really good to hear how he's uh, – how he's bouncing back and uh, being able to help other people to uh, just be able to handle some things that he had some hard times handling. He's doing a good job. And Troy, are you still there? Of course, you can see my number in the studio. Okay, Troy, this is what happened tonight. You remember that time a few months ago when I listened to your show and you clicked me in and I was just wanting to listen to your show? Yeah, I'm telling you, it's a blog talk issue, buddy. I didn't hit anything. Well, no, no, in. we're even now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt. But, I'll, hey, we will how see. How you doing, Matt? I know, I know we're going to get cut off here shortly. Matt, how you, how you doing, bud? What you been up to? I'm uh, doing real good. Doing real good. Uh, enjoying my time, and I uh, uh, hope you're doing good, too. Oh, you know, uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, a, I'm just a lazy guy over here. Don't do anything. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.